0: Dearly Father, we come tonight, we're thankful for this opportunity, we're thankful for your word that is true, we're thankful for your word that leads us, that guides us, that grows us, that blesses us, we're thankful for your grace in giving us uh, your word. I pray as we begin to study tonight that we would take it in, uh, that, we, that we would receive it, that we would hear it, uh, that we would build a foundation, upon, that we would act again, according to the truth of your word, that it would begin to shape us. I pray for our kids' classes that are meeting tonight. I pray that you bless them. Use that, again, to lay a foundation for them. I pray for our youth that are meeting, especially in a world that would try to pull the truth away from them. I pray, Lord, that that you would bless that effort as well. Again, we are thankful for this opportunity. We trust it to you, and I pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight, we're going to jump back into our Bible study. Uh, we have a, a section that we've entered into uh, on the prophets. and Let me give you a quick review before we jump into uh, our lesson tonight. Remember, a prophet was a person that carried God's word, that carried God's message. They were called by God. They were appointed by God. Their authority comes from God, and so it's not in their lineage it's not in their education it's not in their how they're esteemed or their family name or anything like that the fact that god calls them uh, is the reason they have authority so they have god's authority to speak his word now we saw they had to be obedient uh, in that process they had to do it exactly as god told them uh, to do it they couldn't add to the message they couldn't take away from the message they had to be timely in the deliverance of the message, and they could not consider the audience. Uh, think about that. They're going to go somewhere, and that's not going to be a well-received message. They could have been tempted to say, well, I'll, I'll cut it back, or I'll say, I'll say the part they're not going to be offended with. They had to deliver it exactly as God had told them to do. We saw, as two weeks ago, we saw our Old Testament scriptures are the recorded words of God spoken and presented through these prophets. And so there's a lot of of messages that were not recorded. There's prophets that we know nothing, don't know their name, but what God intended for us to have as scripture, uh, it is the word of God carried through prophets and then preserved for us today. And so our Old Testament scriptures, it is the word of God delivered through these prophets. Last week we look at the prophet Elijah. Tonight, we're going to look at the prophet Jonah. All right, tonight, moving into our Bible study, our lesson is entitled, Jonah, the Hesitant Herald. The Hesitant Herald. It's lesson 36. Uh, as, as we go to the key point, uh, I, I want you to remember our Bible study is entitled, The Grand Scheme of Things. And our Bible study is meant to be a study of all scripture, meaning the revelation of God uh, through his word. And so it's a study of all scripture. It tells us of of mankind. It tells us of God, who he is, what he's doing. It tells us of his redemptive plan through Jesus Christ. Well, that means, and I want you to think about this, our lesson tonight is not really about Jonah. Now, we're going to read the verses from Jonah. We're going to look at the account of Jonah But the purpose is not to have a better understanding of Jonah, but to have a better understanding of God as revealed through the account of Jonah. And that's the purpose that keeps happening. Last week, it wasn't about that we'd have a greater understanding of Elijah, but that we'd have a better understanding of what God was doing uh, through the prophet Elijah. So tonight, uh, we're going to see Jonah. We're going to talk about Jonah. We're going to look at verses in Jonah. But really be careful to see it's really about God and what is revealed about God. I think about that. How many, and, and this lesson for sure is, stands out, how many Sunday school lessons was it about Jonah? The, the, the whale that ate Jonah. The great fish, the great whale that ate Jonah. How many uh, church nurseries have a big whale painted uh, with, with a picture of, of that scene? Uh, how many vacation Bible school lessons? Well, that's important, and that's that's an introduction, but really the whole thing is a revelation of God. What do we know of God? What do we see of God in the account? So we're going to learn more about Jonah possibly tonight, but prayerfully we're going to learn more about God. Today's truth, the key point is this. While being totally just, God is compassionate to sinners. While being totally just, which means he stands for justice, He upholds justice. God is also compassionate to sinners. Now, if you think about that, that is a paradox that can only be answered in our God. There's no way to be totally just and be compassionate at the same time. Either you're going to be gracious and merciful and compassionate, or you're going to uphold perfect justice, but nobody else could actually do both of those at the same time. Well, that's the paradox that is answered in the nature of our God. He is just, perfectly just, but he's also gracious and compassionate to sinners. That reconciles only perfectly in him. All right, let's start with our lesson tonight. Jonah chapter one, verses one and two. God's call, God's call. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. All right, in in the start of Jonah chapter one, God calls Jonah and he gives him an assignment. He is to go to Nineveh. The Bible says he is to cry against it because of their wickedness, their evilness, their wickedness. Uh, God has, has seen that. God notes that. And because of that, He is sending Jonah with this message. All right, right here, I want to stop for just a second and and really look at the characters uh, of the account. First, we see Jonah. Here is Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. It says he's the son of Amittai. He is from Gath-Hefer, that is near Nazareth, in what became the area of Galilee. I think it's interesting, this area is the area that's going to produce Christ, Christ is going to be raised in Nazareth. He is going to minister out of Galilee, and so years later, out of this same area, is going to come our Messiah. Is going to come Christ, and so that's what we know of Jonah, the Ninevites. The Ninevites; these are the residents of the Assyrian capital of Nineveh, the Assyrian capital. This is the most wicked country possibly to ever exist. They were known for their wickedness. They were known for their exceeding, uh, exceedingly great violence. Uh, they were a feared people. They were a hated people. Uh, the, the, the historians outside of the Bible would say uh, they, would, they would pluck eyes out of people at the edge of a battlefield. They would stack the heads of the people they had killed in pyramids so those that would come along later would see that and it would strike terror in them they, they are wicked, they're evil, but they're known for their exceedingly great acts of violence. Now, they were a feared people. It's interesting to think about this. It's interesting here. God's message uh, was not for his people, Israel, but for this foreign people, this evil pagan people. Now, here's something to start to think about, and we're going we're to march it out to the end of our Bible study as we begin, I want you to think about this. Why did God send a message to these people? Wasn't to his people, wasn't to Israel. It was these exceedingly wicked, violent people. Why does God send a message to this, these people? What could have been his purpose in doing so? So I want you to start thinking about that. Why does he send a message to them? What could have been his purpose in doing so? All right, the next section on our worksheet says this, for he is there, for he is there. Jonah chapter one, verse three. But the word of the Lord comes, he has a mission, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord, all right? He is in rebellion against God. God's told him what to do. Uh, He's decided to disobey that, but he does something weird here. He's not just gonna disobey. He's not just gonna not do it. He decides he's gonna go where God's not. God's told him what to do. He's not gonna do it. Well, you know what? It'll be easier if I'll just go where God's not. I'll get out of the presence of God, and this will be fine. Well, he soon finds out there is no such place. There's not a place that you can run to be out of the presence of God. Listen to Psalm 139, verses seven through 12. The psalmist found the same thing. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of dawn and if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light, and the light around me will be night, I'll just go to a dark place. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Right, I want to think about that for just a second. He's going to disobey. He's not going to do what God says. I'll just go where God is not. I'll get out of his presence. That's what his plan is. All right, think about us tonight. We, I think we understand God, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. God is everywhere. There's nowhere we can go where God is not. The psalmist says that. Jonah's going to find that out. He is everywhere. And yet, do we not somehow still think that we can draw a distance away from God, that we can get away from God's presence, that we can get distant enough from God that maybe he can't see us? Let me me tell you something I've noticed. People that are in sin, And you know what, we all sin, we we fall into sin, we sin, We, we enter into sin. Here's what I've noticed, and it's, I've started, at first I would see the pattern, but now when I see the pattern, I think I recognize it more quickly. People in sin, whatever it is, pick whatever it is, they will stop being in God's Word. And so maybe they used to read God's Word, maybe they were in a Bible study and they were reading God's Word. And, and when they're in sin, they stay out of God's Word. They don't want to hear it, don't want to be convicted by it. They start to be out of God's Word. Here's something else. When people are actively in sin, something else, they start to get out of church. And we, we say, well, that's just legalism. Well, you've got to be in church. When folks are participating actively in sin and they're living in the rebellion of sin, you know what? I don't want to be in church. You know what, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to hear a sermon. I don't want to be in a Bible study. And and it's almost like, well, by not being in church, I can keep a distance from God. Here's something else. It's a progressive thing. If they start wanting to be out of the fellowship of believers, which means this, I've got some friends, and they're great followers of Christ, but they're going to say, why weren't you at church? They're going to say, your answer's in God's word. And you know what, I'm, I'm too busy. We can't make it this weekend, Maybe we'll catch up with you some other time. And they start to draw a distance away from believers that they have fellowship with. I think the idea is well, I'm going to get a distance away from God. I'm not going to hear his word, not going to be in church, not going to be around his people. And somehow we start to feel like, well, I don't think God sees what I'm doing. Well, I don't feel so bad about what I'm doing. Here's a question What if we actually considered that God always sees us. In fact, he not only sees us, he knows us. He not only knows us, he sees our heart. And so you know what, maybe I hadn't been to church in six months, maybe I haven't read his his word in a year, maybe I'm running with a whole different crowd, but you know what, God knows my heart, God knows my motivation, he knows where I'm at, and he knows what I'm doing. He thought, I'll just get away from him. I'm not gonna listen, I'll get away. It's not possible. We need to consider God knows us, sees us, knows our heart. We can't run from God. All right, next section. Something fishy, a wild tale, a wild tale. Jonah chapter one, verses four through 17 say this. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there became a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He knows who God is, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Verse 10 Then the men became extremely frightened and said to him, How can you do this? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, the great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not. They didn't want to do it. They didn't want to throw him overboard. For the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. "'And do not put innocent blood on us, "'for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased.'" So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights.'" I'm going to go to to chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish. And then I'm going to jump down to verse 10. We'll pick this up in a second. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. All right. In that section of verses, we have really what's a famous account. Jonah and the whale. We hear that. It's Jonah and the great fish. Jonah and the whale. Most of us, now think about this. I think most of us were taught this account maybe in a way that was silly or cartoonish. And so when I, I, when I read that, I think it was, it was, remember the old felt out boards in Sunday school? And there's the fish and there's the guy Or or, or it was almost presented cartoon-like. If you ever see it on the nursery wall, the fish is always happy and he's smiling and he's got a, you know, he looks happy and he eats him. I think it was always presented in a way uh, that seemed cartoonish or silly. And maybe how it was taught caused us to be skeptical. Maybe you thought, well, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's not true. Uh, Maybe you didn't think that, but maybe how it was taught uh, caused us to be skeptical. Yet here's the truth. Now, be sure and hear what I'm saying here. This is an actual account. This is a literal account. This is a historical account of God's dealings with Jonah, which I'm saying this, it actually happened. This is what happened. This is how it happened. It's an actual historical account. All right, let me ask you something. I'm going to come back to it. Does this matter if it's a literal account? Now, I want you to start thinking, these are big questions. Does it matter if this is a literal account? What does it mean if it is a literal account? And what does it mean if it's not a literal account? I'm going to come back to that. Now, let me, let me tell you this. The most telling thing about this miraculous account, now, it's, an, it's a miraculous account is that Jesus actually recites this account as literal history as he prepares for his miraculous account that is actually history. Now, see what I just said. Jesus recites this account as a literal event as he's about to go to a miraculous account, his death, burial, and resurrection, an actual historical event. Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 41. But he answered and he said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to you but the sign of Jonah the prophet. Jesus is speaking. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. I had a class. When I, when I first started going to seminary, when I first started going to school, I had a class. Going there, I've been in, I've been in school about three weeks and I came in and the, the professor, the, the teacher started, came to this account, Jonah, and started to write all of the reasons why this is not a literal account. And so we're sitting there, about 24, 25 of us. Um, I'm about 10 or 12 years older than everybody else in the room. Uh, I, have, I have no training like some of them may have had. And he starts to say, here's the reasons why this didn't happen. There's not enough room. And he says, this whale, this fish, this species, there's not enough room. There's not enough room For this to happen, the stomach acids would have consumed him. They wouldn't have prevented this, this, they wouldn't have allowed this to happen. He could not have survived the stomach acids, would have burned him up. Uh, The the lack of oxygen, once it seals off, there's no oxygen. He 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 would have suffocated for a lack of oxygen. The heat, once it shuts off, the heat in there is a higher or lower temperature than, than Jonah would have been and he would have, he would have perished for that. Um, all of that and it was, a, it was a huge ordeal to say this, it's allegorical, it did not happen. You can't trust it and so here's the point, that's not what the Bible was saying, that's not the point the Bible saying, this is allegorical, it didn't happen. Here's all the reasons it couldn't happen. If if it couldn't happen, it couldn't happen. I didn't have any sense, and I just remembered a few things, but I did remember this, and I said, I raised my hand, and I said, but doesn't Jesus quote this account? Well, sure he does, but he does it as an allegorical account. He's making a point using it. Except the point he's about to make is crazier than the story of Jonah. There's going to be a man that is dead, that is actually physically, literally dead, that's jerked off a cross, shoved in a grave, shut in the grave, stays there three days, and walks back out, not as somebody that woke up from being passed out, but somebody that came back from the dead, and that's a crazier, greater miracle than the story of Jonah. And so Jesus is citing the account of Jonah, showing that his account is also miraculous, marvelous, not possible outside of the power of God. Let me tell you what happens, and somebody may disagree. You'll be wrong if you do. Um, What if this is not a literal account? What if Jonah's not a literal account? It couldn't have happened. We start to jerk the validity out from the Bible. So so you're willing to believe in a resurrection but not in this. Well you're, you say the axe head and kings didn't float. You take that out but you're willing to believe in a resurrection. You just keep the prophets of Baal it didn't happen like that. You take that that miracle out but you're willing to believe in a resurrection. The validity of the resurrection goes away. Can't believe in miracles. Can't believe in miracles. Can't believe in miracles have built a seminary on the miracle of the resurrection. Doesn't add up. Anybody who thinks sense is going to say it doesn't make sense. The one is literal. Jesus cites it to show his miracle is also literal. If you start to pull it out, you start to crumble out the validity of the Bible. All right, next part. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Moving over to Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, from the stomach of the fish, and he called out. All right, here's his prayer. It's recorded for us. That's an awesome thing. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried out from the depth of the soul. You heard my voice. He's he's quoting a psalm. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God, while I was fainting away. Listen to this. I remembered the Lord. While I was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Verse 10, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up on dry ground. Key part of this section is this, verse seven. He remembered the Lord. He remembered the Lord. Now, I wanna work through this very slowly. What was it that Jonah must've remembered of the Lord? He says he remembered the Lord. Well, what was it that he remembered? He must've remembered who he was. He must've remembered he's sovereign and in control. He must've remembered he's compassionate, gracious to sinners. He must've remembered that his word has never failed, never not held true. He remembers the Lord. And so he's, in, he's in, the, in the fish, and he remembers the Lord. That's what he must have remembered. Here's a question. What was necessary for him to remember the Lord? Sometimes I think, well, I get in a bad situation. I'll, I'll just remember the Lord. You know what you have to do to remember the Lord? You have to know the Lord. He had to know. He starts quoting a psalm there in his prayer He has to know the word of God, he has to know the character of God, he has to know the truth of God's word. If he's going to remember the Lord, he had at one time to have to know the Lord. Here's a question for us. How much better would it be for us to quickly remember the Lord before we become so entangled in the thing that drives us to remember the Lord? Which means this. You got a problem at work. You got an issue that makes you blow over in anger. You got an issue that makes you wonder, what do I do with this? Pick your thing. Here comes trouble. Here comes a bad diagnosis. How much better would it be if we remembered the Lord a whole lot sooner? You know what? I know who God is. I know he's trustworthy. I know what he's asked of me. I know what he's done for me. How much better would it be, whatever the situation, for us to remember the Lord much sooner? Two questions. What causes us to forget the Lord? I'll tell you this. Distance from his word. That's what I believe. You you forget who he is. Stay, Stay out of church. Don't go to a Bible study. Don't hear sermons. Don't read the word of God. Don't memorize the word of God. And I promise you, you'll start to forget the Lord. Out of the fellowship of the church. Out of the fellowship with other believers. Those things cause us to forget the Lord. Walking in sin. Living in unrepentant sin. What can we do to help us remember the Lord? Well, it's the flip side of that. Uh, Flee from sin. Run from sin. uh, Participate in the fellowship of the church. Be adamant that you're, you're constant and daily in the word of God. Spend time in prayer. Doing those things will help you remember the Lord more quickly when the trouble comes. All right, next section. Sounds like the gospel. Judgment, repentance, salvation. I'm going to read Jonah chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation, which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Three days' walk across it. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, "'Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown.' Then the people of Nineveh Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and it said, In Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Jonah goes in the city. He has a message of judgment. You're going to perish. That's his message. You're going to perish. He starts delivering the message, and as the people hear, they respond in repentance. They're sorrowful over their sin. They they act in repentance, a a sign of that. They would take ashes and dirt, pour them on their heads, tear their clothes. The king hears of that, and he actually takes off his robe, his majestic robe, and, and puts dirt and ashes on his head. A sign of sorrow, a sign of regret, a sign of repentance. And the people begin to worship God. Because of this, God relents and the people are saved. Now, right there, I thought about our our world and our nation. What if our leaders one day came out and said, Man, we've we've sinned, man, we've angered God, man, we've sinned against God. What if, what if they tore their clothes? What if they actually went out and sat down and started pouring dirt on top of their heads? What would happen in our nation? And I, I try to think about this. What if CNN and Fox News, what if they were showing that? What if that became the thing on the Internet? Our leaders have come out and said, we've, we've turned away from God and we've forgotten his word and we're sorrowful and they start putting dirt on their head. Two things would happen, I think. Either one, there would be a great revival. And I think folks would turn and it'd be the greatest thing. Either that or they'd pick up stones and they'd kill them and they'd run them out of town. Here the king responds. Here they repent and God relents and the people are saved. Now I want you to see what happens in chapter three. That is the pattern of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to show sin. You have to call for repentance from sin you have to uphold the hope for sinners, and the, the answer is to repent and to turn to God. In that, there's salvation. Think about that today. We preach Christ, we preach the good news of Jesus Christ, but we also have to talk about this is a sin. And what God has called a sin, we have to call a sin. We have to talk about the judgment and the punishment for sin, for sin is death. We have to say Christ is the hope for sinners, He's paid the penalty of death. If you receive him by faith, you'll be saved. That third chapter is the pattern of the gospel. See sin, regret sin, repent of sin, turn to God's salvation for sin, and God will save. That's the pattern of the gospel. All right, my favorite part of the whole thing, and it's weird, um, I don't know that I ever saw this until I saw it, And then once I did, I couldn't ever see anything else. And so when I read this account, this is what I think about. This is what I come back to. And maybe when we leave here tonight, you'll be the same way. Our compassionate God. Our compassionate God. Jonah chapter 4. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarsus. Now, Jonah didn't like these folks. They were his enemies. He wanted their demise. He said, if I go there, you're going to save them. I didn't want to go there. Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarsus. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. One of the great verses in the Bible. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better for me than life. The Lord said, Do you have reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. He's thinking, maybe God will destroy him anyway. So the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head and deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant, but God appointed a worm. When dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about that plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and for which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand as well as many animals? Remember the starting question. Why did the Lord send Jonah to cry out against these evil foreign people? They weren't God's people. This wasn't Israel. Why? They're evil. They're wicked. They're actually enemies of God. They hate the truth. Why does he send them, Jonah to, to declare this judgment against them? Let me read chapter four, verse two again. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, this is not what I said. Well, I was, was this not what I said? Well, I was still in my own country. Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarsus, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Verse eleven, God says, "Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than one hundred twenty thousand persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals?" Here's, here's what we see in these four chapters of Jonah God's compassionate. You don't know what the whole account's about? God is compassionate. You know what he could have done? He could have stomped out this nation, he could have marked out this nation, but what he does is what his character always does he warns of judgment, he accepts the repentance, and he sends salvation. The point to the story is this our God is compassionate, he is compassionate. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this. Our God is patient. He desires that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's been God all along. He's actually kind and patient. He actually desires that not one, that not any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. You know what? Wherever you come from, whatever your sin is, God desires that all people would find Christ, turn to him, and be saved. There's not an excluded group. Our God's character is is compassion on top of compassion on top of compassion. Jonah knew that. That's why he didn't want to go. Jonah remembered that. That's why he didn't want to go. God is compassionate beyond our understanding. I want to finish with two things. God is compassionate beyond our understanding. The king says this in chapter three, verse nine, who knows God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that none will perish. He says, let's repent, let's show our repentance. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Here's the question. Who knows? We know. We know our God's compassionate. I know he will forgive any sinner that will turn to him in repentance. I know he is compassionate. I know we have earned a fate in sin, death, but I know our God is compassionate. This pagan God says, who knows? We know our God is compassionate, forgiving, gracious, kind to sinners. The very last verse, 120,000 people that did not know their right hand from their left. I, I watched the news just today, and I see nonsensical, crazy, evil stuff. Uh, I, I saw a case today. This, I'm just, it's just weird. I saw a case today of a man that claims to be a woman. It's in a northern state. So I got to go slow because that's confusing to me. A man that claims to be a woman, so a transgendered woman, I guess is what you call, raped a woman. And so this man that says he's a woman raped a woman, and they're having a conundrum trying to decide how do we charge him because he is a woman and doesn't have as a woman by definition the parts to have raped another woman. And the whole thing is this, he's a crazy man that raped a woman. That's as simple as that. And I, 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 I watch that news deal and I go, what in the world? What in the world? And then I read that last verse. They don't know their left hand from their right. You know what they need? They need Christ. They need a Savior. They need forgiveness. They need the hope that we have in our Savior Jesus. And even as crazy as that account is, you know what they need? They need Jesus Christ. That is our answer. Our God is compassionate Beyond our understanding. Glad you're here tonight. I'm gonna ask if you'll stay, and I'll lead us in a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for you that your compassions are new every morning. That just as you are infinite, your grace and your compassion, your love is also infinite. And where we might have a limit, you do not. Lord, that if we will turn to you in repentance, if we'll receive Christ in faith, you will save us. You'll show, you've will show you already shown us your love in Christ. If we'll turn to you in faith, in repentance, you will save us. Lord, I'm thankful for that grace. And I'm thankful for that compassion. I'm thankful for a God that is that loving. Lord, I'm thankful for the word of God that leads us tonight. I pray as we leave here that we think about it, that we consider it, that it would shape us and build us. I pray for the kids and the youth that are living here tonight. I, I pray that they would understand who you are, that you are compassionate beyond our understanding. Lord, help us as we go through the rest of the week. Help us to remember there's a whole world around us saying, who knows? And then, Lord, help us to be the people that say, we know, and stand up and present your truth. We tell you, we love you, Lord. We praise you and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here.